0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Ricky, for leading us this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. We finished up the book of James several months ago, and then we did. Uh, seven weeks in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 looking at the Hall of Fame of Faith and those people who really exemplified what faith is and how it functions in the life of a believer. I don't know about you, but I love being in Hebrews chapter 11. So people have been asking where are we going next and what are we doing next? We're going to be in the book of Proverbs for the next 12 weeks. Well, I guess I should say the next 11 weeks. So starting today and then 11 more times, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs because if I can just put it this way, I think these are certainly times and moments where we need divine wisdom in our life in very, very big ways, in all aspects of life. As a a Christian, I find myself more and more in literally every single slice of my life and component of my life just praying constantly, God, show me what I'm supposed to do here, show me what I'm supposed to do here in my professional life, in my personal life, in my fatherly life, in my preaching life, in every single part of my life. I'm begging God for wisdom to show me the next step of what does it look like to be faithful to him now in this moment, in this season. And so I trust that you need that wisdom too. So we're going to join together. We're going to go through the book of Proverbs, not every part of it, obviously. It's written in such a way that it's hard to go through somewhat systematically like we would do Other books of the Bible, but what we will do is we'll pick themes and topics. We'll identify key texts on those topics, stay with those texts, and then cross reference others as we go through it. And I think it'll be profitable for us. So let's read today Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 1 through 7. I'm actually going to draw from the whole chapter today, but I'll just read verse number 1 through verse number 7. Here, the Word of God in Proverbs chapter 1. Here's what it says The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel, To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father, help us. Help us to understand. Help us to be a people that, from our experience, from Your Word from the leading of your Spirit in our lives. Help us, Father, to be a people that has discretion, that has understanding, that are marked by and defined by wisdom, that we would lead lives skillfully in such a way that we please you, that we help and we bless our fellow man, and that our own lives flourish in everything that we do. And God, may this be to the praise of your glory. We give ourselves to you. I beg you, God, now to help me as I preach from Proverbs chapter 1 to have some effect in mining out the richness of this chapter and giving it to your people in such a way that we all understand it and we are changed and transformed by it. God, I I really do pray. I, I have no interest and I trust and hope that no one else in this room does or on this video today does either. No interest whatsoever in just going through the motions today. God, would you speak to us from your word? We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things in my life as a president of a seminary that I really don't like is social media. It seems that we just stir the pot and get everybody matter and matter and matter all the time. We're helping no one. We're fixing nothing. There is one silver lining, though, in my Twitter feed. And it's a Twitter account, and this is not going to sound very presidential or dignified or anything else like that, but there's one Twitter account in the sea of all the stress and all the angst that just constantly flows through my Twitter feed. There's one Twitter account that when I see the post of the hour of the day, I smile and begin to laugh. It's a Twitter account called Hold My Beer. Hold My Beer. Is the name of this Twitter account. Now, obviously, the the idea of this Twitter account is that it's taking basically little posts and videos of people that have gotten themselves inebriated and come up with a really good idea and said something to the effect of, hey, hold my beer. And then they go do something that's like, oh my gosh, what a fool. These people have lost all wisdom. They've lost all grip of reality and they just give themselves over to foolishness. And I know I shouldn't indulge and enjoy their foolishness, but man, y'all, they do the craziest things in the world. I mean, it just is the case. They'll, you know, they just, hey, hold my beer, and then they get up on some rooftop of a two story building, decide to jump off of the building onto a trampoline, thinking that it's going to bounce them into the pool. They, take a shot of liquor and they light it on fire and they think it's a great idea to drink it. They take, uh, they take bottle rockets and they put it behind their ears and they light it so that they can shoot out forces from their eyes. These things never end well at all. I have a saying that life is hard. It's even harder when you're a fool. And that is just the way reality works, folks. God has built this thing in such a way that if you give yourself over to foolishness, to folly, to turmoil and difficulty, if you give yourself to a life that avoids and rejects wisdom, then ultimately difficulty is going to follow as a result of that. By contrast, if you give yourself to the instruction of the Lord and the wisdom of God, it bodes well for us in life, right? To follow God is not just to be a good girl or a good boy. To follow God is to find life itself. The book of Proverbs is designed to give us just that kind of wisdom. It's known far and wide as the book of wisdom in the Christian corpus of literature, the Christian canon. We have 31 chapters here, and we have saying after saying after saying that's just wise counsel. And what this, these are generalizations. These are not universally true all the time. There's always the outliers, but they're generalizations to say that generally speaking, if you live this way, if you give your life to this path, it's going to be good for you. And if you don't, catastrophe and disaster is surely going to follow. So the book of Proverbs is the book of the Bible in the scriptures that's devoted to helping us see more clearly with better understanding and living with wisdom. So here's what we're going to do over the next, starting today and then 11 weeks after that, we're going to take up a variety of different topics that I su- suggest that the people of God need wisdom in in this hour. Today we talk about wisdom broadly understood from chapter 1. We'll talk about anger and the need for wisdom to control anger, the need for wisdom to control the tongue, the need for wisdom in contrast to folly. The need for wisdom when it comes to people correcting you in your errors or confronting you with your mistakes. The need for wisdom in the exercising of judgment. The need for wisdom with the handling of money. The need for wisdom when it comes to crucifying pride and and embracing humility. The need for wisdom in your family relationships. The need for wisdom in your friendships. The need for wisdom in diligence and the need for wisdom in honesty. Those are what the things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, and I trust that God will bless us as we do it. Today, chapter 1, I've read the first seven verses. Again, I'm going to draw from the whole chapter here and just try to help us wrap our heads around what is this thing called wisdom and why is it that we need it. So the first thing I want to do today is I want to talk about the nature of wisdom and the purpose of Proverbs. Proverbs. He talks about in verse number 1 through 7 and gives us a picture here of essentially what wisdom actually is. And as he does that, tells us what wisdom is, ultimately what he's doing is he's kind of stating the purpose of this collection of writings. So in other words, he says, this is what wisdom is and this is why we need it. This is what we're going to talk about in the book of Proverbs. So number one, the nature of wisdom and the purpose of Proverbs. In 1 through 7, Solomon, the the writer of this proverb, does essentially three things. He defines what wisdom is, he applies wisdom to several areas of our life where we need it, and then he defines it again for us or helps us to understand wisdom in its relationship to God. So let's talk first of all about what is wisdom broadly understood. What does he say here to help us understand what wisdom is? Well, the word wisdom itself shows up a number of times throughout the book, but especially here in the first seven verses. But there are other terms that he uses as well to help us understand the nature of wisdom and what it is that he's trying to convey to us. This is just the way language works, if I can pause here for just a second. We tend to think that words always and only have very specific meanings, right? So this word always means this and only this, and this word means this and only this, and this word always means this and only this, but that's actually not right. Actually, words can be used in a wide variety of different ways. We can use them as tools, right? So it's true that normally I would take a hammer and I would nail things with it, but in the event that I need to dig a hole in my backyard, I could actually flip it around and use the fork to dig a little bit, couldn't I? Yes. It's normally for hammering, but I can use it for digging if I need to. It's true that I normally would use a wrench to, to screw something in, a bolt into a wall. Hey, But if I need to, and I can't find my hammer, and my wife says to me, Hey, can you hang that picture on the wall? I can take a little nail and take the wrench and knock, 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 and I can hammer with the wrench. Language does the same thing. Terms do the same thing. And as such, these terms have sort of not just a tight little window that they always hit, but rather a range of meanings that they could have. Therefore, it's not uncommon in Old and New Testament for the writers of scripture to throw out various kinds of terms to try to convey the meaning of what they're getting at. Proverbs, Solomon does that very clearly here in 1 through 7. Note the terms that he uses. In verse 2, he talks about instruction or discipline. In verse number 2, he also talks about understanding. In verse number 4, he talks about prudence. In verse number 4, he also talks about discretion. In verse number 5, he also talks about learning. And then also in verse number 4, he talks about knowledge. So in all of these terms, notice these are different terms, but they're all getting at the same kind of concept. He's layering upon layering upon layering the various terms and their ranges of meanings to help us understand what wisdom is. And so what might we say wisdom is? Here's the working definition that we're going to have throughout this entire sermon series for what wisdom is. Wisdom is understanding that results in good judgment such that we please God, do right by our fellow man, and flourish in our own lives. It is understanding that enables us to have a good judgment In other words, you and I are going to have to make decisions about all sorts of things. Think about the areas I mentioned earlier where you and I need to make decisions on a daily basis. You have to make decisions in your workplace professionally. You have to make decisions in your relationship with your spouse. You have to make decisions in your relationship with your children, your finances, and a whole smattering of other things. You have to have good judgment to do that. Now, what do you need to have good judgment? You need to have some understanding. Understand this, there is this notion of understanding involved in this notion of wisdom. But we're not talking IQ, we're not talking about brute intelligence. Just because you can split an atom in the laboratory or at the science lab doesn't mean that you're wise. You can be brilliant, intellectually speaking, and a real fool. These are not necessarily the same thing. There is a knowledge component to it, but it's a knowledge that comes from life it comes from experience. It comes from the Word of God. It comes from the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is a kind of understanding, let's just call it a practical understanding, a spiritual understanding. Let me say it this way. It's an understanding that we can say it gives you eyes to see. It gives you ears to hear. It gives you the ability to make good judgments. Some of the wisest people I have known in my life, and to this day, as a guy who's educated, that I esteem and will listen to probably more than anybody else, are people that are uneducated people. People that don't have all the credentials and maybe don't score very well on certain tests, but my goodness gracious, are they wise. That's what we're talking about. It's an understanding that results in good judgment. Now, what does this good judgment enable us to do? Well, I said three things. Number one, please God. What we're going to see in verse 7 in just a minute is, listen, the, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, right? So above everything else, what I am tasked with doing as a human being, what I'm supposed to do with my life and direct my life towards is the pleasure of God. I live to please Him, not to please myself, not to please you, not to please anybody else. I live to please God so it's an understanding giving me good judgment that now enables me to please God but then I said two other things please God do right by our fellow man listen throughout the scriptures God cares about us honoring two types of directions this direction and this direction God cares about how you treat other people recently with all the turmoil of our country I've you know people will ask the question Show me where in the Bible God cares about justice. My goodness gracious. It's like a fish saying, where's the water? I mean, show me a place in the the Bible where God doesn't care about how we live this way. Think about just the structure of the Ten Commandments for a moment. God cares about this. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not carve any graven images and worship them. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep us holy. All those commands are right here, right? And then watch what he does next. All the commands are right here. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't covet. I mean, we think about the external sins as being the big ones, right? Well, I didn't steal, and I didn't kill anybody, and, and you know I, I didn't do any of those things. Did you covet? Ooh, that's private. That's secret. Nobody sees that when it's the boiling rage of our heart to have, 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 have what somebody else has. God says, don't do that either, because ultimately that too will lead into injustice. And oh, by the way, he goes on from that, and the first five books of the Bible, God gives us law, right? This is about how we live with our fellow man. The prophets preach on this again and again and again in the life, the teaching, and the example of Jesus Christ. He cares about the marginalized. In the instruction of the Apostle Paul, we see it. God cares not just about this relationship, but these relationships too. And that we live rightly with our fellow man. So wisdom gives us the understanding such that we have good judgment and we can please God, we can do right by our fellow man, and then here's the result for you. Here's what's in it for you. Wisdom is the kind of thing that when you have that understanding that gives you judgment such you please God and do right by your fellow man, I'm telling you this. This is the kind of the the message of the book of Proverbs. It will be good for you too. It is enabling you to flourish. Man, you want to live a life that flourishes? Live a life that pleases God and does right by your fellow man. And it will be well with you. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is what wisdom is. So, he goes on, and he, in verse number 2 through 6, in verse number 3 in particular, he describes the areas wherein we will need justice, or we will need wisdom. And so he's going to apply it now. Look at verse number 3. Notice that Solomon here suggests various areas where wisdom is either needed or where wisdom is applied. He says this in verse 3, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Now your translations may translate those all differently. Let me tell you what each of these terms means in the Hebrew. The word justice in the text that I'm reading is actually the word righteousness. What does it mean? It means to do right by our fellow man. In short, God does care about this, as I've already made the case. But here's the thing. If you're going to do right by your fellow man, is that easy? I mean, it's... Here's the thing, look, we, we go through life and we all, when we're young, we tend to think that, man, morality and right and wrong, That's just a simple black and white thing. It's easy to figure out. And then you grow up and you get real responsibilities placed on your shoulders and you have to be the one to make the call for things that affect a lot of people. And all of a sudden you realize it's not as easy as you thought it would be. And if I'm going to do right by my fellow man, then I desperately, desperately, desperately need God to infuse within to my heart, my mind, and my soul wisdom. So righteousness is this idea of justice in the text. It's the ability to do right by your fellow man. And if we're going to do that, we have to have wisdom. He goes on and says, not just justice, but judgment. What is involved here? It means that you have the ability to adjudicate right from wrong in any given case or situation. You face these situations where you've got to make a decision. And you need wisdom. Now, let me talk about the easy times first. It's always easy to make the right decision when the possibilities before you are a good possibility and a bad possibility. Oh, in those cases, yeah, that's easy. These are the cases that make all the 18 to 25-year-olds in life think that, oh, I've got it all figured out, because all they see are the black and white cases, the cases wherein all you really have is a good situation and a bad situation. Well, duh, you just pick the good situation. And unless your heart's just made out of charcoal, generally speaking, we pick the good, right? But here's the problem. The vast majority of the things you've got to make decisions about aren't that way. Most of the decisions we have to make are between two really good options. Not a good and a bad, two really good options. Now what do you do? Uh-oh. Both of these are good. You're asking question: what's the best? What's the better What will do the best job? And that's not always clear which one's can be. Why is it not clear? Because you and I don't have a crystal ball to see the future. So how do we do this? How do we pick between two really good options? Hey, here's another one. What do you do when both of the options or all three or all 50 of the options in front of you are all bad options? Oh, man, that's really hard. Man, if I go this way, this happens. If I go that way, this happens. None of that's good. All of that's bad. God, give me wisdom. The ability to judge, to make decisions of right and wrong in any given case. And listen, you don't have to be a legal expert to do this. You just have to be a mama to do this or a daddy to do this. Because I don't know about your life, but every single day when I come home, I am blown up with a dispute that I am given to solve. Right? You need wisdom for these things, for justice, for judgment. But then there's this one right here, verse 3, for equity. What does this mean? What does he mean by equity? He's not talking about value in your home that if you sold it, you were to get to put in the bank. That's not what he's talking about here. It's equity between people. The Hebrew word there means roughly something like this, smoothness, levelness. The playing field is level for all people, in other words. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that you were renovating your house and you were bringing people into your house and... And as you do that, uh, you think of the elderly that are coming into your house. And you know what? For you, as a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, or maybe even a 40, 50-year-old, it's not that big a deal if your home has different elevations within it, right? You have your main floor, and then there's this little side room that goes down a step or up a step or something like that. You don't think much about that. But when all of a sudden the grandmother with a walker and who broke a hip a year ago or something like that is coming into the house, you all of a sudden begin to think very differently about that. Hey, you even think differently, not just about the the step of a foot in elevation, you begin to notice the little elevation of one inch at a threshold in your home. Why? It's a tripping hazard that could ultimately lead to death, right? Right? That's what we're talking about. Unfairnesses and inequalities in life such that for some it could lead to their peril. And what I'm telling you throughout, go back and read through the prophets. This is the kind of stuff that God really does care about. He cares that the scales that we measure the currencies with are balanced and fair. That we're not tipping the scales for one, giving it an advantage for some and a disadvantage for others. God cares about that kind of stuff, y'all. But yet, if we're going to do that, don't you need wisdom? The the proverb also talks about the fear of God. Verse 7. I would be in big error today if I didn't say anything about verse 7. Watch what he says. There's some variation of this statement throughout the book of Proverbs. Listen to what he says here. The fear of the Lord... It's the beginning of knowledge. Remember, knowledge is used a bit synonymously here. It's all knowledge and discretion and prudence and wisdom. Those are all terms being used now to convey the idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Hmm. But fools despise wisdom. The people on Hold My Beer despise wisdom and instruction. Right? They throw it aside and follow their own folly into their turmoil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, let's just talk about two things with this. Number one, why fear of God? For modern readers, this feels a little bit inappropriate, somewhat problematic perhaps. God fearing God? Why do we struggle there? Why is there a bit of a, oh, that seems wrong or bad or insulting? Why do we feel that way? It's because we're moderns. And we read it through very modern lenses where our culture has told us again and again and again and again that God is love. Let me just have that hang there for a minute. Our culture tells us that. Our Bible tells us that. And that message about God is not wrong. Of course He's love. Absolutely He's love. The problem is not that that's wrong. The problem is that that picture is simply incomplete. There's more to it than that about God. Yes, He is love. So the disservice that our modern lenses are doing for us is that they're stripping away other things about God that have always been there, even in 2020. Yes, He is love, but also remember that our God is holy. Also remember that our God is omnipotent. Also remember that our God is omniscient, means He knows everything. Also remember that our God is omniwise. Remember who God is, and that should indeed change the posture of your heart and your soul when you approach Him. Therefore, Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how we approach Him. Therefore, Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 18, in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, they they both go into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee comes into the presence of God, high and mighty and puffed up with his chest out and bragging about who he is before God. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. I tithe and I fast and I do all these things. Aren't you lucky to have me? And there was this other man, a tax collector, who the masses despised. He was a scoundrel. He was an awful human being in the eyes of the world. Disgusting. And when he comes into the temple of God, the Bible says he stands afar off and he won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beats on his chest and he simply prays this prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus points to that man more. Jesus points to that posture to that soul, to that disposition, and says to us, teaches us and his disciples, that's what I'm looking for. Hence, Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 says this, listen, quote, On this one God will look, meaning give favor to. On this one God will look. On who? Listen, on him or her who is poor and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Jesus would teach us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? I mean, look, the point is here, you fear because God is God. That's why. So yes, we come before Him boldly to the throne of grace. It's always that balance for the Christian, right? We come boldly to the throne of grace, but we also come recognizing who we're speaking with. And there should never, ever, 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 ever be a flippantness. A familiarity to our praying. When I was a pastor, I may have told you this story before. You know, when I was a pastor, I prayed a lot, like publicly. You know, we had any event, Pastor, lead us in prayer, dear God. And it was just, boop, autopilot, I could do it. That's the downside of being in vocational ministry. You pray so often publicly, you can just, man, you can spit one out at any time, in any place. And it began to occur to me after years it breaks my heart to even acknowledge this now and to see it in myself back then. But after years of doing this again and again and again and again, I begin to wonder how many prayers have I prayed that I have no idea what I just said. I'm so familiar with it. It is not supposed to be that way. It should always feel. People say, I don't know how to pray it. It feels strange. It should feel strange. Forever. Because you're talking to God. That's not normal. Think about how amazing and wonderful that is that the God who spoke and brought it all into existence knows your name. And hears your prayer. Oh, may our posture before Him be one of honor and reverence let me say something real quick about what fear is not. What what do we mean by fear? Here's what we don't mean. What we don't mean is so scared that you're paralyzed and so paralyzed that you could never come. No. This fear is of honor and reverence to our God. Let me do two things real quick and then we'll close. That's the nature of wisdom and the purpose of the book of proverbs is to show us this and teach us this and we're going to try to do this as we go through the series applying this to various aspects of our life and our personalities let me do two more things real quick before we close there is a call to wisdom verse number eight through verse number nine look at verse number eight real quick my son hear the instruction of your father don't forsake the law of your mother In other words, the teachings of those who love you and invest in you, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains around your neck. Chains not as in the sense of slavery or bondage, but chains in the sense of jewelry and lavish love. In other words, you keep this word, you seek the wisdom of God, and it will be well with you. There's grace and there's well-being for you in this. Look at verse number 33 very quickly. Watch this. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely in the land, and will be secure without fear of evil. Why should you seek wisdom and heed wisdom from God? Well, because what the proverb is saying to us is because there's grace for you in it, and why else should you do it? Because there's security and protection for you in it. Now contrast that. One more thing: there's also a warning in verse number ten through eighteen. And then in verse 24 through 31, there's a warning to us about doing the opposite. So in other words, what I've just shown you is if you embrace this wisdom in your life, then there's grace for you and there's protection for you. But if you shun it, if you reject it and push it away, it is certain peril for you. Verse number 10 through verse number 18, he talks about ensnarement. Verse number 10, my son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Man, if you want to memorize any part of this passage, remember memorize that one, my son. If sinners entice you, don't consent. Don't go along with them. Don't do it. And now, what he does from verse number eleven through verse number eighteen is he talks about the way that evil people try to manipulate and hurt people for their own personal gain. And what he shows us here is that ultimately destruction will come to them if they do it. It will be they who are ensnared in it, not us. Then in verse number 24 through 31, God warns of divine isolation. This is perhaps the most scary part of the text. You, you listen. Here's the message. God gives us wisdom. He calls out to us with it. Right? Verse 20, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief court concourses at the opening of the gates of the city. She speaks her words to us. In other words, God is giving us wisdom, but we are rejecting and shunning it. Verse 22, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? That's an insult. For, sc- for scorners delight in their scornings and fools hate knowledge Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit upon you and make my words known to you. But because I have called you and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. In other words, I'm pleading with you again and again and again. I'm trying to bestow upon you wisdom to help you, to bless you, to protect you. I'm giving it to you and you're refusing it. Verse number 25. Because you disdained my counsel. Watch where this is going. What God's ultimately going to say is that because I tried to give it to you and you rejected it again and again and again, because you've rejected it, when you need me, I will not be failed. Watch this. Because you disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I will also laugh at your calamity. Ooh. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but no one will find me because they hated knowledge, because they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, and they despised my rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. That is the scariest verse in this chapter right there. They shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning of the way of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But now again, listen to this. He closes with this. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely. We'll be secure without the fear of evil. In short, what God is saying to you is, you know what? We may be protesting a little bit in our hearts as we hear this. How how would you not answer me? God is essentially saying, I'm going to give you exactly what you said you wanted. You want to have it your way? Okay. Have it your way. That's how it'll be. Simple principle, I've said this to you before. God is the creator of life. God is the one who made us, gives us life to this moment. Therefore, there's more we could say about God, but let's just say that minimally right now. God is the creator of life, the giver of life. Therefore, to seek God is to seek life. And to turn away from God is to turn away from life. And brothers and sisters, to turn away from life just is to turn away into death. You can't have it both ways. You can't refuse, 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 refuse the wisdom and the instruction of God constantly in every facet of our life. And then all of a sudden when the chips are down, call, 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 call. The message for us today is quite simple. Repent. And give ourselves completely to the obedience of God. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Number one, do you seek the wisdom of God in your life? I pray for it every day. I haven't always done that. Circumstances and situations and the moments we are in, maybe it's just the age, I don't know. But I see it more clearly now, and what a fool I feel I've been for so many years of my life to just go through life and think that I got this. You pray for God's wisdom in your life? Number two, let me ask you this question. How have you seen His wisdom protect you in the past? Surely in this room, every one of us have had at least a couple moments where we did what God wanted us to do, and we saw His favor to us, and we saw His wisdom and His protection to us, right? I mean, you've had those moments, right? Remember those right now. Think on those right now. Meditate on those things right now. Haven't you seen Him do this in your life before? Let me ask you another question, sort of the flip side of that. Okay, on the flip side of that, when have you seen in your life your refusal to obey and heed His wisdom result in harm and difficulty for you? Because I bet you we all got those moments too, don't we? Yep, I know I was supposed to do this. I know this is what the Word of God says, this is the wisdom of God in my life. But no, I'm not going to do that. I want this. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? Hold my beer, I bet. And if those two things are true, that is to say, if you've seen Him before be faithful to you and you obeyed and protect you, and you've also seen yourself bring calamity upon yourself because you did not avail yourself to the protection of God via His wisdom, if you've experienced that, then now let me ask you this final question. Why not learn from these positive and negative experiences in your life and seek with great desperation the wisdom of God in our life? I hope and pray for the next 11 weeks. That's what we'll do. Father, bless us, we pray. Help us to be faithful to you in all things. God, we ask your mercies, your grace. God, help us to be faithful to you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.